Welcome to the Brew Crew Review Podcast, the show by fans for fans of your Milwaukee Brewers. Oh, hello, Brewer fans, and welcome to another Brew Crew Review Podcast. Uh, my name's Craig, and with me today is Vincent Scott. Hey, fellas. Hey, hey it's Scotty. All right. Well, uh, hope everyone had a happy holidays and a happy new year. Uh, there's been a few brewer activity in the past couple of weeks that uh, we'll update you guys on. And there's also been some p- pretty uh, breaking news here in the baseball world. As we're going to talk a little bit about the Astro scandal and the uh, punishment um, that MLB has come down with them uh, on. And so far, so um, where do you guys want to start off today? Well, maybe we should quickly uh, talk about a couple guys that the Brewers um, thought depart as free agents. Uh, not a surprise, I guess, at this point, um, after some of our other acquisitions this offseason. But the Brewers did lose pitcher Jimmy Nelson to free agency to the Los Angeles Dodgers. And third baseman Travis Shaw signed with the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, you guys have any thoughts on that? Um, no, <laughs> I guess, um, I, I'm mildly disappointed that, um, Jimmy Nelson left. I think it was like a $1 million deal, like a one year deal. Um, but I think with incentives, it could have got up to like 3 million or something like that. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I always obviously we've been rooting for Jimmy Nelson for a while and we've always hoped that he would able to like be able to complete the comeback. So, um, I would have liked to have matched that and kept him here, but maybe he's, again, just looking for a new opportunity. Yeah, Nelson, to your point, was, you know, obviously a Brewers draft pick. He was a guy that had come up through our system. He was um, one of the top pitching prospects in our organization and then made his debut in 2013. And really, it took a few years to kind of put it together. It's shown, you know, some decent flashes. But, you know, in 2017, he was having one of the better pitching seasons in recent Brewers memory. And um, his his injury just really seemed to throw him off. I guess I'll take a little different tack than you on this, Scott. I do think that that injury has really messed with him. I don't know that he's ever going to be the pitcher that he was when he went down with that a kind of freak injury in 2017. But always pulling for him, wishing him all the best in Los Angeles or wherever he ends up, um, you know, going forward. Well, yeah, both the guys assigned to the other organizations had uh, really unfortunate um, – well, last season in particular, Jimmy Nelson finally came back from that injury that he sustained, like since mentioned, 2017. It was just really highly ineffective and um, didn't really have too much interest in going to the minors, straighten it all out. But uh, I guess the Brewers decided to move on from him, and I guess best of luck to Jimmy going forward. Hopefully not too much luck since he'll be with a rival Dodgers, who I'm sure will be a, another playoff caliber team. But uh, Travis Shaw, on the other hand, you know, the Brewers acquired him for Tyler Thornburg trade from the Red Sox. And he put out some couple of really admirable seasons as a Brewer and really ups his um, status. But that all came crashing down, unfortunately, last year where he had one of the worst hitting seasons in Major League Baseball history. Um, so it's hard to kind of come back from that. But you got to wish him the best. Uh, he at least moved to an American League team. It wouldn't affect the Brewers too much. But uh, – I was happy to see him go a little bit just because I thought thought those were the two guys the Brewers 
were probably really on the fence on offering arbitration to and decided to move on from them. I was fine with it at the time, for the most part. I was, I was more concerned with it, not offering it to Nelson because I really want, you know, those type of arms brewers don't develop their systems very often and thought they had a chance to bounce back. But he may, he may never be the same again. You just never know. So it's too, too big of a risk. I understand that. With that being said, I expected Stearns, after not offering those guys arbitration, to go out and fill their positions with just as good, if not better players. Uh, but um, our new third baseman is Jed Jerko. So, guess not. Yeah. Well, and, and kind of similar to Shaw in the sense that he, you know, he had a really good year a couple of years ago. Um, I think Shaw had 31 home runs a few years ago. Scott, you can have the interns look up how many Jerko had. But um, it is interesting. It seems like the Brewers are, at this point at least, going with a platoon at like three of the four positions on the infield. Uh, as the smoke and brawn at first base, here I'll be on his own instead of second base, it looks like. But Urias and Garcia at shortstop and then third base, some combination of uh, Jorko and Brett uh, and uh, uh, Eric Sogard and maybe Ryan Healy. I don't know. It's going to be a really interesting mix over at third base unless we go out and get a bigger name, which I don't really foresee at this point. Um, there had been some speculation, mostly amongst fans, of course, talking about, you know, how the Brewers could really use a guy like Josh Donaldson and sounds like Nolan Arenado's name has been thrown about in trade rumors, not with the Brewers, but um, with the Rockies potentially offering him up, but sounds like the Brewers might go with what we have with those three guys at the hot corner. What do you guys think? I think absolutely that's what we're going with. In fact, I think it's pretty much said as much, but uh, I, guess, I guess God, I'll throw it out to a question to you so you can chime in. If we would have told you at the beginning of this offseason that the Brewers would replace, Mike, well, not resign Mike Moustakis at their base, but instead um, try to enter 2020 with a platoon of Eric Sogard and Jed Jerko, um, would you have been excited? Um, maybe if it was like 2017, um, I'd be mildly excited, but. Um, no, I mean, when you, when you really look at it, it, it kind of made me laugh because um, obviously, like like you had said, Travis Shaw had historically one of the worst seasons ever last year, but he's still out OPS Jed Jerko last year, who granted only had 92 at-bats, but uh, he was equally abysmal last year, uh, fighting through injuries most of the year, so um, really kind of hoping that the change of scenery helps him a little bit, but I don't know, I mean, I guess... I'll, I'll say two two really really nice things about him. First of all, uh, this is a great buy low um, candidate because um, his stock has never been lower ever ever ever. In fact, not many players' stock is as low as it is. And uh, he has a great nickname, uh, Jerk Store. So that's pretty cool. That's okay. That is cool. Um, Craig, what, to one thing to your point, and I definitely, you know, hear what you're saying. Moustakas, though, started off the year last year, as you guys know, at second base. So the comparison might be what are we getting now out of the third base position as compared to a couple of months of a very woeful Travis Shaw at third base? Um, and then what do we also get by playing Keston Hero, you know, for a full season at second base, which he wasn't called up until I think it was late May. Then he went down again for about a month and then he came back up. So he was you know, with the team for approximately half of the season last year. So 
maybe a full season of Hira mixed with not having a, you know, Shaw at third, you know, and using the platoon maybe a little bit more effectively than just having one bad starter. Maybe that's the idea that Stearns is putting out there. So I'm wondering if we're going to compare, if we're going to, if we should look at, you know, at bats just from the third base position last year, rather than just looking at Mike Moustakas who played second for, you know, half the season last, last year. Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, if we were trying to just replicate shot season last year, and as long as we accomplished that, we'd be in good shape. Then, not sure if that was the best plan going into off season, but I, I see your point as um, yeah, like were, I mean, is 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 here a you know here at a full season at second plus hopefully an upgrade at third base over what the position produced over the course of last year is that going to be enough to be better than last season? I guess is my question. Yeah. And I guess the one person in the third base mix that I actually still have hopes for and I think is the more most talented uh, of the three players is actually Ryan Healy. But, um, again, he's got uh, minor league options and will probably start the year at uh, AAA. But if the vaunted Sogard uh, Jerko platoon at their base somehow doesn't work out well, at least we'll have some other options. Um, and also since we're in the – category of saying something nice about our new acquisitions. I will say that for Jerko and Sogard, they do have something that Stearns and I'm sure Council both value very highly, and that is actually position flexibility. Because Ted Jerko uh, actually has experience playing even shortstop. So he, he can play third, short, right. second. Um, and actually, same thing with Sogard. So it gives the Brewers, if indeed a better third base, everyday third base option emerges, we do have Jerko and Sogard who could also fill in for, you know, if something happens where we trade or something to Orlando Garcia. Ar- um, and also Urias is not like ready for the majors for shortstop or something like that. But neither of those guys in the pinch could play shortstop. And the same thing if for whatever reason, Kessin here struggles so bad defensively at second baseman, we need coverage there. Those guys could fill in there as well. So yeah, it does give us and plenty of, flexibility yeah and we lost Hernan Perez the free agency as well he you know he signed with the Cubs um I think I think we talked about that on the last podcast but we did lose Hernan yeah. Perez didn't have a ton of major league uh time up last year but we also lost Tyler Saladino who uh in the last week signed with the Korean League um so he's no longer in the organization so yeah I mean maybe maybe this mix is going to be even more versatile um, even with losing those couple guys too, um, just because there's more bodies and um, we did we did have another signing that you can talk about here in a minute here, uh, Craig as well. Yeah, and if you were to tell me that the Brewers are just replacing Corey Spangenberg and Tyler Saladino's uh, 2019 role, the Brewers with Jed Jerko and Eric Sogard, I'd be like, well, that's perfectly fine. But apparently, we're expecting more of those guys, but that's okay. We'll hope, hope for the best. Yep. Well, you never hey, Craig, if we're you. saying something nice about all the different Brewers acquisitions, can you say something nice about Brett Anderson, please? Sure. Um, he throws left-handed. All right. Thank which you. Is more sought after than a right-handed pitcher a lot of times. Okay. Um, he does get hit um, when he throws left-handed by the opposing batters a lot and doesn't strike anyone out. <laughs> but besides oh. that um, – yeah, he does throw left-handed, so that's a plus. All right, All right. Here's, a, here's a really good question. Who will have a better 2020, Brett Anderson or Chase Anderson? 
Ooh, good one. Yeah. <laughs> good one. Uh, I'll go Brett Anderson. I'm I'm putting my faith in Brett Anderson. But yeah, I will go with Craig? Chase, and we'll re- revisit this at the end of the year. But I'm hoping it's Brett because he's a brewer and Chase isn't. But I don't know. We'll see. Um, in other brewer news, uh, we also signed someone that could possibly be some of our first base depth, uh, and that's Logan Morrison, um, who we signed to only a minor league deal with an invite to spring training. Obviously, with Justin Smoke on board and Ryan Braun here, Mark, for some first base at-bats. What do you guys think of, first of all, that signing and whether or not Logan Morrison ever actually plays uh, for the Milwaukee Brewers in 2020? I mean, it, it really fits Stearns' M.O. He's he's finding a lot of guys, and I would just charitably say that have um, upside but can come at a very low cost. So I don't understand fully what the Brewers' payroll picture looks like. It seems like right now it's about quantity. Um, certainly it seems as though Stearns is looking and, you know, trying to find value in – a lot of these guys, you know, we've seen in other years the, the market is going to overpay for certain guys at certain positions. And we know that even very, very great players like Anthony Rendon or Josh Donaldson will probably not fully be worth exactly what their contracts are because they have to be so high to, you know, lure them to their new teams. But I, I, Stearns has taken the completely opposite tack and <laughs> has, has paid next to nothing for a number of these guys. So it'll be really interesting to see if anybody works out. Um, whether or not he plays as a brewer, I, I think he will. I think he will see Logan Morrison at some point next year in a brewer's uniform, maybe like Corey Spangenberg who came up, you know, later on in the year. Uh, maybe he's that guy. There is a, a new role in place, as you guys know, for 2020. We get uh, There's a 26-man roster instead of a 25. And I do think that Stearns' acquisitions this offseason uh, in terms of versatility and guys with options, I, I've kind of been geared towards that new rule. And I think we're going to see a lot of movement with that 26 guy on the roster uh, all season long. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. I mean, I, I don't know that Logan Morrison will have a successful year with us or, or that he will be a big part of uh, the success or failure of the 2020 team. I don't, I don't think he'll, he's going to play a big role one way or the other, but um, yeah, worth a shot. Why not take a flyer, see what happens. Um, <laughs> You know, you're not investing a lot into them, so whatever. Um, here, yeah. Here's one. Um, better moral yeah. compass, um, Avisail Garcia or Logan Morrison? <laughs> moral compass. <laughs> well, I, I was going to really quickly compare Morrison to Tyler Austin last year, but all right, Scott. Um, <laughs> uh, how, does, how does Logan moral, Morrison's moral compass come up? Like, does he have a story that I don't know about? Did your interns find something? I don't know. I, I just it, it seems like every time I ever hear anything of him, it's negative. But I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, so it can't be that bad. But then again, I, I didn't even remember a lot of Avisail Garcia's baggage. So, well, because you're interns, but I, I think Logan Morrison was just in the news today talking about the Astros uh, scandal, which we'll get to later here on the podcast. But he was talking about you know, the fact that the Astros have been doing that for a number of years. So he, for some reason, made a public statement today. I'm not sure if he was asked a question or if he just kind of put that out there on social media or where that came from. I didn't see too many other current players opine on that issue. 
um, for obvious reasons, but he decided to, you know, make his opinion known. So I did see that, see that today. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, that's right. We should probably uh, pivot and talk about that a little bit. We should, uh, but Greg, you have a thought on that question? No. I think I think uh, Craig might be trying to he might be trying to repair a furnace. No, well, it's a we do prioritize you viewers and listeners, but uh, yeah, sometimes household things do come up. Um, speaking of that, you were. Know, I, I think that's a good segue, guys, to the uh, to the big news of the day. And sorry, not to cut you off, Vince, but um, were you going no, go somewhere else with that segue? No, 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 go. Okay, well, yeah, today obviously the big news came down, and obviously fans already knew that the, this was under investigation for the past couple of months by MLB, and that is Houston Astros uh, were handed quite the penalty. Uh, their manager, A.J. Hinch, was suspended for one year. Their general manager, Jeff Luthau, was suspended for one year. They were fined as an organization the maximum of $5 million. And they also have to forfeit the 2020 and 2021 first and second round draft picks. Um, also, as a ripple domino effect of that, the owner of the Astros came out and fired Luthau and Hinch today, and uh, I guess what is your guys' take on whether or not you were surprised by the penalties, if you thought they were too harsh or not harsh enough, um, and all that good stuff. So, Let me just say one thing really quick to put this in context, and it's the harshest, it's the harshest penalty imposed by Major League Baseball in, except for Pete Rose, banned for life for gambling, and the Black Sox. Uh, the 1919 Chicago White Sox, the eight guys who were suspended for life uh, from baseball for. Uh, so I think that qualifies as big baseball news. Yeah, no, no, yeah, exactly. No, so I just want to put it in context. You know, historically, it's it's kind of interesting. So, um, so yeah, Scott, do you want to take a first stab here at that next question? Um, I, I guess at the end of the day, like I, I don't necessarily view it as that harsh of a punishment. I realize that. Um, you know, on the spectrum uh, of just looking at all the different punishments throughout the, the history of baseball, it's obviously quite high. Uh, but I, I don't think that anybody looks at that and goes, oh, well, uh, you know, they, um, you know, that's not too, like, that's, that's too harsh. You know, I mean, that's, to me, I, I think the punishment fits the crime. I mean, at the end of the day, hey, guess what? They also get to keep the rings. They also get to keep the banner. You know, I mean, they're still champions. And um, you know, obviously, I don't know how far back the cheating went um, that they actually had proof of, but my guess is that it was probably something that's been happening over the course of the last few seasons, including their championship season. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, at the end of the day, the fact that they get to, to keep their rings, which, again, I'm not arguing for or against, but I think just that means that um, this, this punishment is not too harsh by any means. Yeah, I think it's about right, honestly. Um, it is it is interesting. And as a, we should also point out, as of this taping, it sounds like there are going to be further ramifications of this investigation. And my guess is, is that the Red Sox end up having to fire Alex Cora because it sounds like he was the guy who was sort of behind a lot of this stuff when he was the bench coach in Houston. 
Um, so I, I do think there is going to be more of a fallout, you know, from this. And that's that's kind of what our anonymous source, Tom Carter, had told us in the run-up to all this stuff as well. I know that he's been talking to Major League Baseball about where the investigation stands and things as well. But, um, yeah, I, it, I did find it interesting that no players were actually suspended or called out really in the report or fined or anything of that nature. And I guess I get that. I think that it's probably due to the fact that, you know, you couldn't really get guys to cooperate with the investigation uh, if it was thought that players were going to be suspended. So I think that that is, you know, one concession that Major League Baseball made. The one, the one kind of larger question that looms for me is, you know, sign stealing and I'll call it innocent cheating, like a spitball or certain other facets of the game have always been a part of baseball and to me I guess the question becomes when does it become the you know so serious that a guy's going to get suspended for life versus when it's you know something that all teams do and it's considered to be just a competitive thing um, and I guess the line that I or the the position I ended up taking on all of this was when you start using electronics to you know give yourself an artificial advantage you know using a camera planted in center field um, I think does cross the line. It's a lot different to me to use a camera with a feed to a video in a room that can quickly be signaled into a batter than it is to have a guy on the bench who's trying to like, you know, pick up something from an opposing team's coach or catcher or something. So I think if it's, I think that it's more, it's, it's fair game and just sort of part of baseball. If, you know, you're trying to steal signs as a player, I think it's a different thing when you use a camera to do it. So that's, that's kind of the conclusion that I at least came to. And I think, or anonymous source, Tom Carter agreed with me too. Yeah, I think Tom wanted us to just say his either his first name or like Tom C or T Carter. Um, maybe not the fault, just for anonymity's sake. But you okay. know, it's what's what's done is done. We'll get it next time. Yeah, it's in the report. Yeah, yeah. I think multi multi guys uh, and TC made great points. Um, I like Vince's point of the fact that this is something that does go on pretty often in baseball and throughout baseball history and players kind of know about it, but it's like one of those things where you can try to get away with it by standing on second base or whatnot. And if you're able to successfully figure it out, it's kind of like um, the other team might even know about it and switch up their signs and whatnot. So it's kind of like a cat and mouse type game, but um, I don't think it was specifically – earmarked as in the rule books completely illegal to do it without using technology. I think that this is the reason why Hinch and without weren't like Pete Rose and the Black Sox scandal handed lifetime bans from baseball because of this, which they very well could have in my opinion is because of the fact that I think this is just an initial, well, first of all, because like Vince pointed out that it is just something that has gone on and the other teams do it and they have different ways of doing it. But this is the first one that's, got serious evidence that technology was used and implemented in a way that was definitely against the rules and therefore yeah. a pretty harsh punishment had to come down and I actually thought the punishment pretty much did fit the crime in this matter. I think it's enough to be a deterrent for future teams and GMs and, and managers to partake in it, of it or if they see it going down, you know, if it is just players initiating it or something like that. That are that they're you know under their watch so to speak uh, that they have to put a stop to it or else their career is going to be in jeopardy just like Henson with now are now um, so I think that's a pretty clear signal and uh, it would be really tough to 
suspend individual players. Just I think there were just so many probably that partake in this in one form or another. Um, and so I think hitting the entire organization at the top levels like it did is probably the, w- the way to go. Um, and so, yeah, and as far as just stripping them of the World Series ring and the, the banner and whatnot, I think, you know, people, history is history. And it's like if you're not going to hand it to someone else, um, it can be ignored, but it, it's, you really just can't like rewrite the history books like that. So I think that's always just kind of a, something that doesn't um, hold too much water um, or whatever. And, yeah. and again, yeah. the, the Astros were a talented team in, in 2017 uh, and, and probably were the best team assembled in baseball, in my opinion. But why the fact that they did this on top of it is just, you know, it definitely warranted punishment. And I think it's, it's a pretty huge deal, um, and I think, like Vince pointed out, Alex Cora, who was part of it, is now that the Red Sox manager is definitely going to have a punishment come down upon him as well. So, well, and, and that's the other the interesting. Fall. Oh, sorry, Craig. I thought you were done. Oh, I was going to say I don't think the fallout of this is over. That's by any means. Yeah, no, and and what's interesting is, and again, another very talented team, but Alex Cora took his team the following season and won a world series as well in Boston. So now, you know, is that, are they going to uncover something that says, okay, Alex Cora, you know, logically probably implemented a very similar system in Boston that he, he knew and used in Houston. Um, so is that world championship tainted? And is anyone looking into that? Is baseball looking into that at all right now? And, you know, so those are the types of questions that I think that it would be very tough to unravel and take away championships to your point, Craig, I, I don't, I don't see any way that you can do that. And then to, you know, in 2017's case, then you would what award a world championship to the Dodgers who didn't actually win, you know, a game seven. I, I think it would be very hard to award a championship to a team that didn't actually win it despite the cheating. So it's kind of, I think that we're kind of right where we should be. The one interesting thing that did come up and I did have to think about this and I haven't really formed a full opinion on it yet is that major league baseball decided not to, punished Carlos Beltran, who apparently worked very closely with Alex Cora to come up with this system in Houston. When Beltran was a outfielder for Houston, it was his last season in the big leagues. And now, of course, he's going to be the manager of the Mets uh, in 2020. They decided not to punish him because of the actions that he that when he did that, he was doing so as a player. Um, I did find that one to be kind of interesting. So, I mean, are they, is Major League Baseball going to watch Beltran and the Mets a little bit closer this year? Or do you guys think this was a big enough deterrent, you know, to turn off you know, teams like the Mets or the Red Sox or whoever else from, from you know, doing this in future years? Well, I, I think I'll say this. I mean, obviously, um, you know, Boston, uh, even though they have core over there now, it's not like they would, like, willfully use technology to cheat with an Apple Watch or anything else. I mean, I don't see that as their, as their MO. Oh, oh, wait, they did that. Never mind. Okay, they did that once. But it was just once, you know, but um, – uh, the other thing I guess I wanted to point it out uh, was, you know, obviously I, I am not an advocate for like saying, okay, well, Astros, you, you lose your championship and we're going to, you know, hand it over uh, to another team that didn't win. Like, I, I don't like the idea of that. However, I mean, that's pretty much what the NCAA does. I mean, they've, they've gone out of their way to, to strip teams of championships before. So, I mean, it's not yeah. unprecedented. It's just unprecedented within the realm of MLB. Um, and profession and professional sports generally, because I can't think of another example in any of the big four professional sports where that's taken place. Right. No, not, not, I mean, if it did, it was like, 
I don't know, 100 years ago or something. But um, the other thing that I guess I wanted to point out was that um, I know that players, um, it, it's something where I, I want players to be punished as well with this. And I think that anybody that had uncovered that they were involved one way or the other, um, or if they were even just a part of that team, um, let's suspend all of them, but like stagger the suspensions. Kind of like if you remember way back, remember the Wisconsin Badgers and that shoebox uh, scandal where oh, yeah. they got they got the same team discount as every other team, whether they were like a you know a girls peewee soccer team or you know a professional team. Like everybody, if you came in with a group, you got an automatic discount, and we got suspended for that and had to like every player basically had to serve a suspension but we were able to stagger them out so that obviously we could feel the team um something like that i would have liked to have seen in this case and then um i guess the last thing i wanted to point out is um even though i think that this is a, a pretty fair punishment um what do you think is worse uh what the astros did or what the cardinals did with hacking into the astros computers and finding, you know, obviously yeah. information with their, I mean, who knows what they found? I mean, but basically any kind of um, information about their organization or, or any kind of strategy that it could be, um, I mean, they had to have gotten yeah. a boatload of information. So which is worse? Well, according to federal law, what the Cardinals did is worse because there's a guy serving a jail sentence in federal, federal prison for that. Because, I mean, when you break into a company's, you know, information or database whether it's in the corporate world or in baseball um you know it's it's a major it's a major crime and you know it's a it's a crime for a variety of reasons obviously it, it obviously you can find out about strategy for an opposing team in this case or a company in a in the corporate world or even stuff like hipaa violations are occurring you know you've got access to guys medical files i mean it's it's pretty crazy when you think about how that was allowed by the cardinals and I'm surprised that Major League Baseball actually didn't punish the Cardinals a little bit more um, for what they did. Uh, but that's a good comparison, Scotty. I had kind of forgotten about that so, a few years ago. So just to compare, uh, the Astros lose their, what, their top four picks, um, basically. Or they lose four top picks, I should say. Um, the Cardinals lost their top two picks um, of that year. And they were fined $2 million, which was the highest amount ever for an organization, but who cares? Like $2 million. I don't care about that at all. If, if I'm an organization, like fine, great. Um, so yeah. really uh, the Astros were basically punished twice as hard in my opinion uh, as the Cardinals, which um, doesn't necessarily mean a lot to me. Like it's just kind of crazy. I thought the Cardinals should have been uh, definitely uh, hit a lot harder than they were. Um, I think their excuse was they they were doing the baseball god's will, um, whatever that is. So, I don't know. You can't argue with Cardinals. I don't, I don't disagree with that assessment, Scott, but I will say that I kind of feel that the Ast what the Astros did from a baseball perspective, like the on-field perspective was much worse because it was indirect. So, I mean, I, I think that's the main reason for punishment. I think it just kind of depends on what – the Cardinals got with respect to the Astros. I mean, if they had like their draft board or like strategies about how they work with, you know, different people or different series or how they valued their prospects or any kind of insider info that they had. I mean, it's such a, it, a vast amount yeah. of information. Would it be 
yeah, no, that's a good point. Would it be would it be different if like the Cardinal say that somebody hit you guys remember Jason Grimsley, pitcher in the nineties, who snuck through the ceiling tiles to go retrieve <laughs> a bat from the umpire's locker room that had been taken from the field from Albert Bell. Yep. And they were looking for cork and they put the bat in the locker room. So Grimsley you know, climbs through the ceiling to go and get the steal the bat in the middle of the game out of the umpire's room and end up finding that the bat had been switched out because he accidentally replaced it with a pulse rento bat, um, which wasn't maybe the brightest move, but whatever. Oops. And um I'm wondering, like, hypothetically, would it be what if what if you know teams planted a listening device in the opposing team's locker room to get strategy or something, you know? So that's a electronic thing. Or what if somebody like physically climbed through the ceiling like Grimsley did and listened ahead of time? Like, you know, there's all sorts of scenarios that could play out. I don't know how Major League Baseball would begin to sort out, you know, what constitutes something serious or what constitutes something that's more in line with the traditions in the game of like spitballs or other sandpaper underneath a glove or you know ways that you again viewed as more innocent cheating versus more heinous cheating like what the astros did or probably what the cardinals did as well is it is it the electronic component that makes this different is that is that the big difference here because grimsley didn't even get suspended for what he did uh, at all so i find it to be kind of interesting just how major league baseball determines what's serious and what isn't well i I think the crazy thing about all this is that i think this is like the first main incident going into the future. I mean, technology is going to keep advancing and advancing. There's going to be ways to possibly do this even more efficiently or undetectedly, so to speak in the future. And I think MLB wants to cut out any notion of even attempting that because of the hammer they can bring down as punishment. So I think that's wise to do that. Um, Especially, and Scott, you live out in Vegas, and there's even talk about possible baseball relocation in Vegas in the future. And I think yeah. there's some validity to that. Okay, calm down there, buddy. No, it's gonna be, <laughs> gonna be yeah, right by the Rio. Right by the Rio. You heard it here first. <laughs> getting back to Pete Rose, he's a number one prime example why baseball has always tried to distance themselves from the gambling community, especially. You know, uh, when players or managers are involved, um, and, and I think that's going to continue to be the case in the future. And if there's that technology uh, element that can help change the outcome of a baseball game, and and there's going to be more gambling in the future, especially on a federal level, it's much more um, deregulated as it used to be gambling overall, and it's going to be more in the future. So there's going to be a lot more, you know, money being put down on Major League Baseball games going forward. There's just no doubt about that. Obviously, with the Internet, with the deregulation of the industry, and with baseball possibly moving to Vegas, all those things. Baseball. So I think from a technology cheating standpoint, baseball had to come down hard on this. And I think it's hard enough, but like Scott pointed out, it could have been even harsher and maybe should have been even harsher, but. I think this is a, pr- a pretty good uh, initial start as far as yeah. uh, deterrent for future shenanigans, so to speak. Yeah, and, and it should be pointed out, the monetary fine, I think you mentioned it, Craig, uh, $5 million uh, was was levied against the Astros. It doesn't sound like a ton, you know, because it's, you know, these major league teams are paying so much money and salaries and whatnot, but it should be pointed out that is the maximum allowable fine uh, under the current uh, set up in Major League Baseball that it has with the different clubs. So it's not like they chose that number uh, randomly. It was literally the top 100% tile of 
of available options for them to find uh, the Astros. So you may you may see that in the future. Um, if this isn't effective and it keeps going up, the teams might end up they might end up raising that, you know, with with clubs and saying, all right, we're going to be able to, you know, build a franchise, a hundred million dollars. I don't know. I'm just making up numbers, but um, it should be pointed out that this was the maximum allowable fine that was levied against Houston today as well. Yeah, and I don't know if that's something they can negotiate in the next collective bargaining, or if that's even part of that. To no, it's that. not. It's it's not CBA because it's not with the players. It's uh, the agreement that a franchise has with Major League Baseball. So you know they'll. That's what I figured. Owner, yeah, yeah, an owner will you know have those constraints to work under under Major League Baseball rules. So the other owners would have to vote on that. I don't know what percentage it is that the owners would have to approve a raise. I think it's seventy five percent, but I could be wrong. Um, on that. So and the owners don't like finding themselves, so I'm sure that number well, will right. too much. <laughs> it, right. Well, right, yeah, right, who does? So, yeah, I, it would make some sense that that wouldn't change unless they want to do it as a PR thing. And, I, you know, for most owners that run clean teams, and I, I don't think that Jim Crane, the Astros owner, was necessarily himself terribly guilty in this. It sounds like he was very cooperative with Major League Baseball and kind of taken aback, and then he, he did fire his GM and his manager today and, um, you know, took that step apparently on his own. So I, more owners may be in favor of that going forward than you might expect, but uh, yeah, you're right. It's, it, it's the fine in the numbers is determined between yeah, the owners and major league baseball. So. And I was initially like, well, good, good for the owner of the Astros, Jim Crane for, for doing the firing. But then after that sunk in a little bit later, I was like, you know, what, what other choice did you really have? I mean, are you really going to let these guys just sit on the sideline or they for a full year and then bring them back? Right. 2021 right. yeah i mean the optics would just be terrible and the fans and, and it, i think that there was really no a no-brainer so to speak um and so i initially was giving them a lot of credit for doing that but the more i thought about it I was like well there's really nothing else you could have done so well, it which, which is why i tend i tend to think that alex cora is going to get fired here this week then as well because the red sox are going to be operating under the same constraint and of course given a year you know i, I was talking to an astros fan today it was Interesting. Like, if he would have been, if Hinch would have been suspended even half a season, you know, you're still talking about, you know, two managers in the same year on a good team. Like, it just doesn't seem to make a ton of sense pragmatically that you'd want any sort of cloud or this for your organization. And I just think, I think it would really negatively affect the players, um, you know, to have a new manager coming at the All Star break. You know, if you would have just suspended him for half a year. So I don't know how long Major League Baseball is looking at suspending Alex Cora for, but. I think that it's, if it's anything over 10 games, which I'm sure it will be, um, I, I tend to think that the same exact thing is going to happen in Boston that we saw today in Houston. There's well, even talk that Carter could, could suspend it for more than a year based off of how, how much he's actually yeah. implicated in this. Right, exactly. Well, guys, we only got about 40 seconds here. But I did want to point out that, I mean, it's not apples to apples, but, you know, Sean Payton, obviously, of the um, – uh, of the Saints after the whole bounty gate scandal, he was suspended for a full year and he came back and it worked out really well for that organization. So you never know, I guess, but. Um, different, I, different, different sports though. I yeah. Yeah. Just throwing it out there. It's the closest comparison I have, but since we only have a few seconds, um, you know, tell all your friends and have people listen to this podcast. We've had a, a lot of new people listening now. Really, really no, appreciate it. Get those five stars in at brewcurvy one on Twitter. Hang out, stay classy. Go Brewers. Go Brewers. Dun, 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 dun.